Integrated Apple and App Store Risk was published on Tuesday, June 8th, 2021. Apple acquired Dark Sky, the popular weather app and weather API provider, in March of 2020. The Android version was shut down in July, and the API in December. The real storm, though, arrived in yesterday's WWC keynote, when Senior Vice President of Software Engineering Craig Federighi spent 49 seconds previewing iOS 15's new weather app, filled with new features and wrapped in a gorgeous interface featuring real-time weather elements like accumulating snow and bouncing raindrops. See video. Next up, weather. The weather app is incredibly popular, and it's getting a huge update. First, we're introducing a beautiful new design with data and layouts that change based on conditions, such as wind and rain, unhealthy air quality, or sunny skies. We've also added new weather graphics to help users better understand conditions like wind, UV index, and barometric pressure. And we've completely redesigned the gorgeous animated backgrounds. There are now thousands of variations that more accurately represent the sun position, clouds, and precipitation. And the weather app in iOS 15 includes full-screen, high-resolution weather maps. These maps show temperature, animated precipitation, and air quality that provide a whole new way to see the weather around you. What made these 49 seconds notable is that they came at a developer conference, and yet Apple's acquisition of Dark Sky and iOS 15's new weather app are quite clearly focused on obviating third-party weather apps built by the developers WWDC is theoretically for. This isn't a complete surprise. The public WWC keynote is focused on consumers, while the afternoon platform State of the Union is for developers. But the new weather app was only the most extreme example of Apple deciding what part of the iPhone user experience was theirs, and what was left for developers. The dark side of weather apps. There is another way of thinking about Apple's new weather app. In 2019, a year before the Dark Sky acquisition, the city of Los Angeles sued the IBM-owned weather company for collecting and selling location information from its popular weather channel app. The company eventually settled with an agreement to better disclose that it was leveraging user location data for more than delivering weather reports. The problem for users is that it is not as if they could turn location data off. Unless a user wanted to manually enter their location every time they used a weather app, the app would be fairly useless for its intended function, displaying the weather wherever the user was. The challenge for weather app makers, though, is that weather information is a commodity that costs money. App makers had to pay for the data, but that data was open to anyone willing to pay. The result was a race to the bottom with user privacy as the casualty. AccuWeather was shown to be sharing precise geolocation data with advertisers, as was WeatherBug, Weather Forecast, and World Weather Accurate Radar. From this perspective, Apple deciding to nuke the entire category, not by outlawing weather apps from the App Store, but rather by investing in delivering a superior weather app by default on the iPhone, is less about being anti-developer than it is about being pro-user. Now users can get useful weather information without having to worry that their data is being traded for access to said information. It's a reason to buy an iPhone. App Store Controversy While Stratechery started out extensively covering the App Store and Apple's relationship to its developers from the moment it launched, the last year has brought the issue to the forefront in a major way. Last WWDC, Apple had a public clash with Basecamp, faced an antitrust lawsuit from Epic, received a statement of objections from the European Commission over its treatment of third-party music apps, most notably Spotify, saw CEO Tim Cook testify in an industry-wide antitrust hearing, and was dressed down in a hearing specifically focused on App Stores. There were even more stories, but you get the drift. Unfortunately, as is often the case with major news stories, many folks' positions harden into one of two extremes. Either Apple was 100% in the wrong and ought to completely loosen the reins in the App Store, or Apple was being unfairly maligned for profiting from its innovations. I tried to dig out the nuance between these two positions two weeks ago in App Store arguments, but the example of the iOS 15 weather app, 
along with the overall tenor of yesterday's announcements, is a useful one to add more definition to that nuance and show why Apple ought to change its approach out of self-interest, not just the goodness of its corporate heart. Apple's integrated announcements. The case of the Weather app is, as I noted above, straightforward. The nature of the App Store market, combined with the cost of weather data, left users with poor choices as far as App Store weather apps are concerned. Carrot Weather, I would note, is one weather app that does not sell user data. It requires a subscription for ongoing use. Therefore, Apple invested money to build out the default weather app and also committed to funding the acquisition of weather data for all iPhone users forever. Similar justifications apply to a bunch of other new features in the order in which they were announced. FaceTime not only added the ability to send links for scheduled calls, making it an alternative to services like Zoom, it is also adding features competitors can't, like screen sharing on iOS devices. Footnote, you can share the screen of an iOS device via your computer on alternative services, but not from the iOS device itself. And footnote, Apple can break FaceTime out of its sandbox because it owns the entire widget. Apple also announced SharePlay, allowing users to listen to the same music or watch the same streaming video service while being on a FaceTime call. While Apple did announce a SharePlay API for third-party music and video services to incorporate, there is no similar API for other video calling services. Shared with you services content shared in messages in the relevant Apple app, whether that be photos, Apple Music, Apple News, Safari, Apple Podcasts, or Apple TV. See image. It is a deep level of integration that is only possible if you control all of the pieces involved. Focus lets you reorganize everything from your home screen to your notification to fit your current context, from working to relaxing to exercising. Naturally, it syncs across all of your Apple devices. Intelligence and Spotlight understand and bring together not just textual information, but also image-based information, and combines them with Apple services like Maps and Siri. Photos Memories is integrated with Apple Music to provide a soundtrack to its auto-generated photo montages. Wallet is expanding from credit cards, transit cards, and previously announced car keys to home keys, hotel keys, and even ID cards. All these are stored in the secure element on Apple's own chips. AirPods have a much deeper integration with Siri, which can now initiate conversations, not just respond to them, and are expanding their spatial audio capabilities from iOS devices to Apple TV. Quick note, first demoed on the iPad, makes Apple Notes into a system-wide note-taking service that is available within other Apple apps and, naturally, syncs across Apple devices. Apple Translate is also available as a system-wide service across Apple devices. The integration of these features across everything Apple sells was emphasized by Apple's introduction of the next version of macOS towards the end of the keynote. Beyond a truly puzzling redesign of Safari, there really wasn't much to demo because Apple had announced all of macOS's new features in the context of other devices. One could make the case that nearly all of these features, like the new other app, were bad for developers. FaceTime now has system-level advantage over Zoom, Teams, and other video conferencing services. Messages now has special tie-ins into system-default apps like Photos and Safari. Those apps, like Apple Music, have special tie-ins into the default messaging service. Apple Maps and Siri are tied into intelligence and Spotlight in a way that Google Maps and Alexa cannot. Photos Memories doesn't have an option to use Spotify. Apple limits access to both NFC and the secure element. Google Assistant doesn't have special access to AirPods, nor do non-Apple devices. Third-party note-taking apps or translation services can only operate in their sandbox, not across the entire system. At the same time, there are real user benefits to these decisions. The foundation of iOS security is its sandbox architecture. The fact that an app can't touch anything else on the system is not only a win for users, but also developers broadly, as it was an essential element in reinvigorating the market for apps after the mess that was Windows malware a decade ago. Second, while API-driven interconnections offer the most power and flexibility in the long run, it takes a long time to get it right, and more importantly, secure. By controlling both sides of an integration, like those between messaging and the shared-with-you suite of apps, Apple can focus on a seamless user experience that delivers on useful capabilities sooner and in a more intuitive way than it might have otherwise, and, over time, perhaps open up an API to third parties. 
direct access to hardware like NFC and the secure element are more straightforward from an API perspective. But given the security implications of both, you can understand why users might prefer the confidence from knowing that only Apple leverages either one. That's not to say that Apple itself doesn't benefit from these integrations. Not only do they drive deeper iPhone lock-in, many of these integrations tie into Apple's subscription offerings. It's a mistake, though, to focus solely on the direct financial upside. The integration advantage. John Gruber analogized iOS to a theme park on Daring Fireball. Good column and video from Joanna Stern on Apple's walled garden. The people who use the term walled garden in this context typically do so as a pejorative, but that's not right. Literal walled gardens can be very nice, and the walls and gates can be what makes them nice. That's been a recurring theme in the testimony from Apple executives in the Epic trial. Asked about rules and limits on iOS that Epic presents as nefarious, nothing but tricks to lock users in, Apple witnesses typically responded by presenting them as features. The iOS is wildly popular not despite the walls, but because of them. Better than walled garden, I like the comparison to theme parks. People love theme parks. Not everyone, of course, but a lot of people. They're fun, safe, and deliver a designed experience. They're also expensive, and the food, to put it kindly, generally sucks. Public parks are great too, in very different ways. We should have great public parks, and we should have great open computing platforms. But not every park should necessarily be public, and not every closed computing platform will be better off open. I, for one, prefer open computing platforms. Part of the implication of being a bicycle of the mind is that you can efficiently travel anywhere, and I am frustrated whenever I run into the training wheels and guide rails inherent in iOS. At the same time, there's another kind of freedom that comes from knowing that you won't fall down or end up somewhere you never wish to go. Apple absolutely grants that kind of freedom to users who take advantage of their devices to do more than they ever could on a more open platform for fear of screwing up, if nothing else. I also enjoy the advantages that come from Apple's deep level of integration, both in terms of individual devices and also across their ecosystem. To take one small example, AirDrop is an essential part of my workflow for writing Stratechery, and despite my hesitance about using any platform-specific app with inscrutable data structures for permanent data, the new Quick Note feature has me seriously considering a switch to Apple Notes. Footnote. At least there is a web version. And footnote. Yes, innovation springs from openness and a philosophy of letting a thousand flowers bloom, but it can also come from control and the ability to integrate across non-obvious interfaces. I wrote in 2013's what Clayton Christensen got wrong. Quote, The issue I have with the traditional analysis of vertical integration, and this is exactly what I was taught at business school, is that the only considered costs are financial, but there are other, more difficult to quantify costs. Modularization incurs costs in the design and experience of using products that cannot be overcome, yet cannot be measured. Business buyers and the analysts who study them simply ignore them, but consumers don't. Some consumers inherently know and value quality, look and feel, and attention to detail, and are willing to pay a premium that far exceeds the financial costs of being vertically integrated. End quote. If you were to boil Apple's philosophy and attractiveness to customers to one word, that word would be integration. And guess what? First-party integration is bad for third-party developers. Everything is a trade-off. Greed and risk. This is where the nuance I discussed in App Store arguments becomes much more black and white. Yes, Apple created the iPhone in the App Store and, under current U.S. antitrust doctrine, almost certainly has the right to impose whatever taxes it wishes on third parties including 30% on purchases in the first year of subscriptions, and completely cutting off developers from their customers. Antitrust law, though, while governed by Supreme Court precedent, is not a matter of constitutionality. It stems from laws passed by Congress, and it can be changed by new laws passed by Congress. One of the central planks of many of those pushing for new laws in this area are significant limitations on the ability of platforms to offer apps and services, 
or integrate them in any way that advantages their offerings. In this potential world, it's not simply problematic that Apple charges Spotify 30% or else forces the music streaming service to hope that users figure out how to subscribe on the web, even as Apple Music has a fully integrated signup flow and no 30% tax. It is also illegal to incorporate Apple Music into SharePlay or Shared With You or Photos, or in the most extreme version of these proposed laws, even have Apple Music at all. This limitation would apply to basically every WWDC announcement. Say goodbye to QuickNote or SharePlay as an exclusive service, or any number of Apple's integrated offerings. I think these sorts of limitations would be disappointing as a user. Integration really does often lead to better outcomes sooner, and would be a disaster for Apple. The entire company's differentiation is predicated on integration, including its ability to abuse its App Store position, and it would be a huge misstep if the inability to resist the latter imperiled the former. This, more than anything, is why Apple should rethink its approach to the App Store. The deeper the company integrates, the more unfair its arbitrary limits on competing services will be. Isn't it enough that Spotify will never be as integrated as Apple Music, or that 1Password will not be built in like Keychain, or that Simple Note will only ever be in its sandbox while Apple Notes is omnipresent? Apple, by virtue of building the underlying platform, has every advantage in the world when it comes to offering additional apps and services, and the company, at its best, leverages that advantage to create experiences that users love. In this view, demanding 30% in total control of the users of its already diminished competition isn't simply anti-competitive. It is risking what makes the company unique. The daily update is intended for a single recipient, but occasional forwarding is totally fine. If you'd like to order multiple subscriptions for your team with a group discount, please contact me directly. Thanks for being a subscriber and have a great day.